let me just first say something briefly about the image that you see. Um, so I did, until I wrote the paper and then started to upload to PubPub, I didn't know that like, we were going to get to add an image. I know we could have added images throughout, but sort of an image to signify what you thought your paper was about um, seemed to be yet another exciting way to conceive of how we think about publishing things digitally, perhaps differently, um, or perhaps the same, right? I mean, perhaps many of you have had arguments about what your book cover should look like if you are academics who have no control over that. Um, so plenty of control over what we could pick. And so I was looking for digital images of primarily, as someone who's coming out of um, a womanist, feminist community of scholars, something that would depict some form of uh, female gender, and also making sure that the image was free or was able to be used as share and share alike. So thinking also about copyright responsibilities in a digital age. Um, and I came across this photo and I'm, that, that then had been digitized a number of different ways to create this layering which I hope resonates with some of what I'm saying about how we are conceived of as people. Um, but one thing I really loved about it, which perhaps you can't directly see, is that this woman is with a dog. And one of my primary texts that I always return to in scripture is of the Canaanite or Syrophoenician woman. And her response, sort of the one, one primary time in scripture where someone bests Jesus in his own argument and talks about the crumbs under the table being even for the dogs. And so I thought the image itself harkened back to the type of frame that I'm trying to create for the way we enter into this conversation about digital spiritual embodiment. So for me, the primary ways in which I think of the self now is as selves. Um, and so I hope this conversation will continue and come up again. Sort of what, what do we mean perhaps by individualism um, or individuals or some sort of common sense of who can I be separate from all of you? Or are, am I always me because I am connected to you? And so I don't think that's new. I don't think that's some new radical theological anthropology that hasn't existed in the past. I think digital life helps us see that more clearly, perhaps in ways in which we don't want to be intertwined, but it, it brings it to the fore in a clearer sense than perhaps before where I, I could make some choices about the way in which I was connected to other individuals via either communication um, or even other people's knowledge of me. So our, our lack of control around that, I think, has exacerbated the way in which we feel it now, but not that it's new. So I'm using this sense of what digital technology brings to us as a networked way of being in the world, as a primary operating structure for how we might think about theological anthropology. And in this sense, I think that both feminist and womanist theological constructions of personhood and agency, primarily their arguments around relationality and interdependence, link up well with that, 
which is again why I'm saying I don't think it's new, right? Womanist and feminist theological ethics have been talking about these concepts far before we moved into the digital age. Um, but how do we bring them together in this way of thinking about ourselves? I'm playing a bit also with a version of a uh, narrative ethics um, without it sort of explaining the methodology behind it. And so if people want to ask me questions about that, I'll, I'll try to explain it. But right now I'm just playing with it uh, to see how it comes about. And so for those of you who have read the paper, for those of you who have not, uh, one of my sort of entry points into this is a quote from Ghanaian feminist author, Mercy Odioye, who says, blood may be myth, genes too scientific, but there is nothing like a story to fix one's self-image. So both a kind of narrative approach, how do we narrate ourselves into the world of being, which I think we do intentionally in digital spaces, and digital spaces do about us, and others in digital spaces do about us. So I think there's a role for the technology itself, for others we're interacting with, and then for ourselves as we enter into those relationships. The sort of three generative stories or pieces of information I organize, the conversation around then in terms of storying is how do our online selves create a particular incarnation of who we are? So that we are no longer just spiritual and embodied, but we are digitally embodied spirits. So who, who I am as made up of all of the various aspects of my digital footprint, those that I intentionally put out and those that are collected about me, for example, from things like data valence, that, that combines to form who I am and how I am known in the world. Because of that sort of multiple locatedness, I then ask us to think about the ways in which digital technology by, might be ushering us into a sense of the self as they. And here I'm specifically playing with movements and gender identity around pronoun choice and the ways in which they might actually be more accurate for all of us as individuals. Um, and the ways in which that has theological echoes as we think about both an incarnated Jesus who is part of a trinity that is they and one at the same time. And then the third piece is to bring in my questions, sort of my own background of social ethics. Does the discipline itself of social ethics, can we still use it? Right? I mean, it's born out of this huge shift in the Industrial Revolution, moving out of the social gospel, through and within academic structures. Can social ethics as a discipline, and primarily it's, it's sort of birthed into my own ancestry line of feminist and womanist ethics, can that serve us in a digital age? Or is the digital age something completely new similar to the Industrial Revolution, and we need a completely new version of theology and ethics for it. So sort of one a side note before I get into those theological and ethics questions. 
there are ways in which, and even in all the multiple papers you've read, that at times we think of digital technology as a tool, as an instrument we use. There are times we conceive of it at, from the primary perspective of how it's changing who we are in the world, right? I mean, if you ask a group of preschoolers to take an imaginary picture, they don't go like this, they go like this because they've rarely ever seen someone take a picture like this, right? If you ask them to talk on the phone, they go like this. Most of us in the room, I think, would still go like this, right? Um, so that sort of, it just changes who we are as humans. We have different reference points now that we engage with different technologies. The third way we might have conversations about digital technology, and this is sort of where I'm locating my conversation and my paper, is in the way in which digital technology, or any technology for that matter, and humanity is always co-constitutive. That, that you can't separate it only as a tool, and you can't separate out just the human changes that come with it. But that it's this constant cycle that is reinventing on, on all ends of it. Um, and I don't know how far I would go on this, but at least in the paper, I go probably fairly far. Um, the sense that if we think about the ways in which the digital landscape, that technology in particular, has reshaped us, humanity, the ways in which we know and are in the world, the effects of artificial intelligence, big data, it seriously is, it's. It's almost as though when I use um, Brad Kallenberg's term here from his work, that tech, this form of technology is something much closer to us, that it's under our skin or perhaps even in our blood, that we are in fact digital beings and we don't have a choice any longer. Um, I think there are plenty of people who think, well, if I just don't have that smartphone or I close my laptop, I'm not a digital person. But we'll hear more from other folks about things like data valence um, and social surveillance. You know, unless you're going to go all cash and off the grid, you are digital. Someone, somewhere, something, some government only knows you because of a digital piece of data. That is who you are. So if we are, in fact, these digitally embodied spirits, then what kinds of theological reflections can help us? And I'm sorry, I didn't look at the clock before I got up, so give me a cutoff sign, please. Um, so I specifically turn to Ivani Gabara, um, who's a liberation theologian, ethicist, Catholic moral theologian, and M. Sean Copeland, um, because one of the things I want us to play with is that if digital technology is in fact under our skin, not in the sense of an implant, but literally composes who we are, then why not go to theologians and ethicists who depend primarily on the particular embodiedness of women's lives? I'm not sure Guevara or Copeland would agree with me in this. I mean, they may well say, no, the interdependence, the relationality, the everyday substance 
of survival is not as digitally intertwined as KDOT is arguing. And yet, I think there are plenty of resonances with their work. They produce a theological anthropology that's rooted in relationality in this networked sense, and they do so in a way that gives us windows into the power dynamics that that sets up, which I think we need to pay attention to. They also root it in a historical contextuality that's not just about human persons, but also about God, and specifically about the ways in which suffering and the suffering that, it, that communities and people's lives evidence continues to play out in a digital landscape and perhaps is exacerbated by that digital landscape. So for me, the commitment to the momentary inbreaking of justice that they comment on helps me think about the, the forms of digital technology that exploit and oppress without giving into a radical technological determinism, which I think is often the place we tend to, to go if we're trying to think about the ways in which digital technology is growing and is part of directly who we are that then somehow we, we lose the capacity to negotiate it, to affect it, to, to change in how it's made. Um, so for Gabara and Copeland, moral agency is always contingent. It is always historically located. And yet it's always there. It's aware of the power dynamics, but not giving in to them in a sort of totalizing way. Um, and I think there will be many resonances in the next presentation that we hear about sort of the ways in which we might conceive of the function of moral agency in these kinds of interactions, uh, as well as what's called for as we think about the ways in which we might respond and that response will still perhaps be unsatisfactory to us. Um, so those momentary inbreakings of justice, I think, are important to hold on to. Um, so I, I want to conclude with sort of some places I pointed toward and would love to think about more. If we hold that sense of who we are with a theological anthropology that suggests we are all relational, we are always embodied and digital, that our suffering and our experiences of justice are what create our experiences and ability to relate to God? What does that mean when those particular historical experiences happen in a far more digital landscape than we are used to? So one place I want to push this is to ask a question like, what would it mean to be in virtual reality as a community and an actor in that virtual reality to commit sexual violence against another person in that virtual reality. One, do we consider that sexual violence? These are avatars. They are connected to individuals. Do we think about the way in which 
the effect of that on the community reverberates a sense of suffering, of power, affects perhaps even their notions of God. Is that less than the kind of sexual violence that happens offline? Is it the same? Perhaps on the flip side of that, a sort of different kind of liberative aspect of what we might think about in those digital spaces, all of you, all of us, right, myself included, have a, um, a digital measurable type. So, you know, when people say, oh, well, Facebook is sending me all these ads, right? How do they know who I am? If you actually go into the back end of your Facebook account or your Twitter account or your Instagram account, it will tell you what your digital measurable type is. For some reason on Twitter, I'm male. And on Facebook, I'm female. On Twitter, I, they think that I am interested in all kinds of things about cars because I have a, an electric car and I follow lots of forums on electric cars on Twitter, right? So they've created this masculine gender type for me on Twitter. That is who I am to that community and what they are trying to communicate with me about. On Facebook, I'm a feminine gender type and most of the other things they think about me are related to kinds of places I would buy things that are socially responsible. Right? Like the only shoe company they give me advertisements for is Tom's. Everybody know that? You buy a pair of shoes, they give a pair of shoes to someone else in the world, right? So they think that's how they have created my digital measurable type. I am not bound as a digital self by any of the power gender constructions that happened when I walked in this room. Is that perhaps a completely new way to think about gender, other than they're using offline structures to create those types. But I can live into those types anyway I choose by the ways in which I play with their algorithms. So am I then omnigender as a digitally embodied self? Is that something I could live by and live into? If that is, in fact, what happens? to my digital measurable type. So I'm hoping that the sort of theological anthropologies that are proposed in feminist and womanist theologies give us clues to how to respond as relational, interdependent, and multiple selves in community and in communion with God. I also think that feminist and womanist theologies allow us to understand the reality of that task and to not underestimate the brokenness and the suffering that's caused by systemic oppressions evidenced in our everyday interactions. For me, bringing these two together helps us not move into technological determinism or into a technological utopia, but sit firmly in the reality of what it might mean or already is to be a digitally embodied 